0: Thinking about the is evidence for for God, which I think is very compelling evidence. Obviously, there are folks who say that they're atheists, and it's their contention that there there is no God. If that's the case. I think the um, the burdens on them to come up with um, powerful proof to support their uh, position. It would have been mine at the age of sort of 17, 18, doing. Um, degree in chemistry at Cardiff University and uh, I, I sort of felt the answers really were in science big bang and evolution there's no need for for God i had been to um, a sort of um, church for a number of years for the youth group there um, but really for intellectual reasons pursuing science uh, I came to the conclusion that God wasn't there and also for moral reasons I had a, a brother who died at the age of eight and that made me really question. I was seventeen. If there is this this God, how, how could things? When it becomes very personal, it really does hit hit home. So, nineteen. As I said I was an atheist, and uh, there are many today who say that. Uh, many well known uh, atheists who propound this um, this mantra: there is there is no God. But I, I come to the conclusion, obviously, that there, there is, um, and I in the end it's a matter of faith, the final piece of evidence is, is a very subjective one, you, you meet him for yourself, but I want I, I, to point out to you now that there are powerful pointers that uh, help us, and we can uh, help others who are struggling, and if you're struggling here this afternoon, I think there are powerful pointers that there is God there. Now, you can never prove God, you can't put him in a box and say, well, there he is, QED, uh, but there are these powerful pointers, compelling uh, evidence um, I've been asked to address this subject uh, around this, this book which day one produced about three years ago, uh, Evidence for God, and I was here two years ago when this book was, was published, and I, I gave a similar talk here two years ago, so was anybody here for that one? Right, so it'll be something similar to what you, had, sort of a refresher for you. But I put in this book seven reasons to believe in the existence of God. I right? call them seven powerful pointers, and to help us, they all start with the letter C. So I'll talk for a little while. Uh, feel free at any point to stop me. It's quite a small group; we can be fairly interactive. If you want clarification, treat me like a computer screen. All right, press the pause, uh, drop down an information window, click on it, and we can we can look at that, and then we'll go back and pick up where we were, where we're at. So, seven powerful pointers, and to help us, they all start with the letter C. I think the first is the the biggest one, uh, the most important one, the most compelling uh, pointer, and that is the very existence of the universe or creation. So the first C, creation, powerful pointer to God, creation. We have to answer this fundamental question, where does it all come from? So, stuff things. You look out at the night sky, um, occasionally it's clearing Wales, and if you're clear of the cities, it's, a, it's an astounding uh, sight. Um, I don't know how fast you think you're moving at the moment, but I have to tell you it's uh, scarily fast. A uh, thousand miles an hour as the earth spins on its axis, but as we make our sweep around the sun, we're going at sixty-six miles an hour, that's fast. If the earth suddenly stopped in its uh, circuit around the sun you'd carry on at 66,000 miles an hour. So if we say we're going in that direction it stops. Um, I'm not sure whether you hit the wall first or the wall would disappear. I-, I guess the wall would actually be ripped off its foundation before you reached it, is. so such forces would, uh, would come to bear. You'd be going so fast, you wouldn't land on Earth. You'd uh, exceed the escape velocity uh, from our gravity. And you'd end up in outer space where you'd uh, explode because the gases in you, they just expand and that's the end of of you. If you want to be smart, maybe you're warned about the Earth stopping, you strap yourself down, then uh, you've got to do it securely because if you don't secure your limbs, they will leave you. If you secure your limbs and your head and everything then your brain will exit your head at 66,000 miles an hour. It's it's a fantastic speed that we are moving at. We're 93 million miles away from a fusion reactor called the sun, a million miles in diameter, 20 million degrees at the core, and converting hydrogen to helium and setting out this this blast of uh, radiation from it. Um, To travel to the sun, take you a long time. Getting in a fast car, I've travelled up at a steady 70 on the motorway, of course, from Cardiff. I don't exceed the speed limits. Um, If I carried on at 70 miles an hour towards the sun, it would take me 150 years to reach the sun, if I didn't start for any petrol or anything. (laughs) Having seen the sun, well, I've seen that, I'll head off to the next nearest star, Alpha hundred at 70 miles an hour, would take me around about 30 million years. That's the next nearest star. Our galaxy, called the Milky Way, 100,000 million other stars, like our sun, some bigger, some smaller. Um, The size of our galaxy the Milky Way is immense. It takes light. Do you know how fast light travels?
1: 196,000
0: miles a second. Yeah, that's in old units, so that's, that's the one I learned as well. That's fast, so in a second, light will travel around the world six times. Our galaxy is so vast, the Milky Way, it takes like 100,000 years to go from one end to the other. You know, even the Starship Enterprise and Jean Luc Picard, they've only explored the Alpha Quadrant of our galaxy. That's how vast the galaxy is. And the Borg came from the extreme edge of the Alpha Quadrant. So, what's, what's beyond that? I mean, it's quite an amazing uh, galaxy. And then that's not unique. There are about 100,000 million other galaxies like ours. So the question really is, where has it come from? And it seems to me, uh, just using some logic, uh, it's not an argument I've worked out, I, I heard this originally from, I think it was John Blanchard, I was listening to a, a lecture by, by him. There are only three possible answers to the question, where it all come from? Number one, it made itself. There was nothing, and nothing became everything. It made itself out of nothing. There's one possible option. Second one is, well, don't ask about where it's come from. It's always been there. So it's eternal. Third one, I can only think of three options. Uh, God made it. God made it. Now, we can examine the first two scientifically. Um, Number one, it, it made itself from Nothing. And that really is the essence of, of, of Big Bang. 13.8 billion years ago, the universe as we know it, I've described this immensely for a degree of reason, because at the boundaries of cosmology, origins of the universe, uh, I'm trying to answer this question, where does it all come from? Here's the latest theory. 13.8 billion years ago, the known universe, all well, those Billions of stars in our galaxy, all those billions of galaxies in the universe were compressed into a point vanishingly small. It was so small, um, I can tell you the measurement, uh, 10 to the minus 31 of a metre. So you know what a metre is, don't you? You know what a millimetre is? A millimetre is a thousandth of a metre. So you can picture a millimetre, can't you? Well, a millionth of a metre is a thousandth of a millimetre. And uh, 10 to the minus 31 is a millionth of 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 a a a meter. So everything was in that dot. Uh, It's called a Planck length, infinitely small, but it's also infinitely hot. It was uh, a temperature of 100 million, 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 million degrees centigrade. Everything was in there. So our planet was in there. Uh, All our galaxy, 100,000 million stars were in there and 100,000 million other galaxies. Now, this is beyond my ability to to comprehend, but if you're gonna say there is no God, you've got to have an answer. Well, science is trying to probe there. And then, 13.8 billion years ago, due to some disturbance Stephen Hawking puts it in the quantum fuzz, it, it, it throws out with the Big Bang this universe. Now, At the point of the Big Bang, what's outside the dot? Which is mind-boggling. You might say, well, there's a dot hanging in space. But no, that's not the case. Space is in the dot as well. So outside the dot, there's not even space. There's nothing, there's not emptiness. There's just the dot in the beginning, the the dot. And then everything is is thrown out and... uh, then uh, to, to try and account for the fact that it clumps together and forms universes, then there was something called rapid inflation that caused inconsistencies in the material that's being thrown out, being gravity takes over, it means to clump into uh, galaxies and star systems begin to form and, and burn. So that's, that's roughly the, the origins, but here's the question. Where's the dot come from? Where's the dot come from? And, uh, well, number one, it made itself. Scientists have discovered certain fundamental laws that uh, we we can't find any way around, and uh, here's two of them, quite simple. They sound complicated, but they're not. One is the first law of thermodynamics. Sounds grand, it's easy really. What it says is this, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It can be though converted from one form into another. So matter is condensed energy. So take a piece of coal. What do you do when you burn it? Well, you don't destroy the total energy. You give out heat, you give out light. That heat and light do things, affect other things. You conserve, the law of the conservation of energy. You convert from one form to another. You can't create it, you can't destroy it. So this law tells us nothing comes from, from nothing, and nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something. Good, nothing comes from nothing. It's a fundamental law of science. So that dot can't make itself. If you ask any questions about that, you, you could ask that maybe later. That's number one, made itself. Number two, well, don't ask the question because it's always been there. It's eternal. Well, then we hit another big problem. The second law of thermodynamics tells us this. The useful energy within a closed system for doing useful work is always winding down. A grand way entropy increases, but useful energy decreases. Example: a closed system, a rechargeable battery. You put it in your radio or whatever, and the use of energy in that battery is winding down. When it's dead, you recharge it. You put energy back in that's useful, and it'll do something useful again. But generally, things wind down. Um, Should sure you can think? Well, a watch. You wind it up, mechanical energy. It then winds down, stops doing anything wind it up again. You've got to put energy in to keep on doing useful work. Now, the implication with the universe is simple. It is a closed system. And the useful energy for doing useful work is winding down. That means things cool down. Stars, we, we know, start to, to run out of fuel. Uh, they don't cease to be. You get condensed matter and energy in that form. Then, But wind- nothing useful can be done. That means this, obviously the universe cannot be eternal. Because if it were, we wouldn't be here. And philosophically, actually, we would never have been here because the universe would always have been eternal. And how far the past would it have had? Always an eternity past. So there never would have been a point where anything could have happened because philosophically, if it's eternal, it would have wound down eternity past because eternity is a long, long time. So scientifically, looking at those options... They really are non starters. That's not to knock science, I'm a scientist. Just that science can't get around this. Now, maybe there's an answer that we haven't thought of yet, and Stephen Hawking, in one of his latest books, um, Grand Design, starts to try and grapple with it. Uh, But I think the logical answer is this Um, it was created by God. And then people say to me, ah, well, who made God? If the universe can't be eternal, then God can't be eternal. God set in place the laws of science that we're discovering. He's not governed by them. He's the governor. He's the overseer. Uh, Physical things, energy and matter, are governed by the laws of science. Uh, God is not energy and matter. He's pure spirit. And entropy can't touch him. Thermodynamics can't touch him. He is God. So, I believe uh, the most powerful piece of evidence we have for the existence of a being, you know, he's the divine being, he's creation. And uh, the Bible declares that, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God day after day, they pour forth speech, night after night, they display knowledge, there it is. People say, well, if only God would put a sign in the sky and tell me he's there, hello. <laughs> and, you know, how big do you want the sign to be? Because the universe is very, very big. I think uh, maybe our problem is we don't, we're too busy. And maybe that's why we're losing touch with any concept of God, because we're too busy, and we're looking down. Whereas our ancestors uh, didn't have the streetlights, and maybe it wasn't as rainy in those days, I don't know. And they would look up. And David, as a shepherd, would look up, and he writes things like Psalm 19. There's, there's abundant evidence there. There's the first one, haven't we got? We're up four, don't we? I haven't got a watch. Keep going. <laughs> right. Second say, they, they get a bit shorter now, let's, I've spent some time on that because I think it's really, really important, it's so obvious. Second one is equally powerful, I think. Uh, circumstances, just the, the nature and the order of things. The fact that we're here and uh, enjoying a pretty benevolent uh, universe and, and surroundings. That things, and Stephen Hawking says this, Things seem just to have been fine-tuned, incredibly fine-tuned. It's not just that they're close, but they have to be absolutely precise for us to be here. Now, I know that uh, an atheist would say, well, the coincidences did happen because that's why we're here. They are fantastically mind-boggling, but they happened, and that's why we're where here, even if we lay aside the, the question that can't be answered where's the dot come from, if it was a dot, where's all things come from then we go into this one, circumstances and I think these things are starting to pile up and become stronger and stronger but uh, let's just think about a few of these circumstances or coincidences as uh, scientists, some scientists might say um, <clears throat> water is uh, I've experienced quite a bit today it's essential for life, we grumble about it but uh, we would miss it terribly You'd last about three days without water, then you'd be, you'd be dead. We're 65% water, we're losing water, we've got to replenish that. 65% of the Earth's surface covered with water. This wonderful thing called the water cycle is an amazing uh, system that uh, I believe God has obviously set in place. But water itself is an amazing um, substance. The fact that H2O is a liquid is a surprising thing uh, for, for chemists. Uh, Similar molecules like uh, H2S, hydrogen sulfide, or HCN, hydrogen cyanide, they're, they're gases at room temperatures. Now, if water were a gas at room temperature, we, we wouldn't be here. Now I know why it's a liquid. There's something called hydrogen bonding that attracts water molecules together. So at room temperature, they condense and they're, they're a liquid. Is that a coincidence? Well, might might be. That's, that's, that's okay. The way that water freezes is awesome. It's, uh, I, th- I think I'm right in saying, I've done quite a bit of looking around this, it's, it's pretty unique amongst liquids in the way it freezes. As you freeze a liquid, the molecules and liquids move around slower because they're getting cold and they want to huddle together to keep, keep warm. So they say, let's get together and keep each other warm. And they, they start moving slower and then they get... So it's getting more dense and then eventually they they freeze and the solid form of any liquid normally drops to the bottom of the liquid and so most liquids you freeze them and they freeze from the bottom and the side of the tank and the last bit is a little pool at the top that solidifies water's quite different you cool it down it gets more dense until four degrees centigrade then it gets <coughs> lighter again the ice expands And because of that it floats <laughs> on its liquid if that were not the case we wouldn't be here because seas and rivers would freeze at the bottom, upwards, and all life would cease. The fish would be frozen. And it would never throw out. We'd have a, a, fro- a frozen snowball in space if water behaved like other liquids. But it doesn't. It's unique. It freezes on the top, so the little fishes are quite happy in the water below. And then it, uh, The sunlight hits the ice at the top, it's fairly thin, melts it, and uh, so the whole thing continues. Water. Well, uh, that's one thing. Coincidence? What about the moon? It's not just something for a romantic evening and something that helps with the tides. It's doing a fundamentally vital job for us. We're a spinning globe. The axis of the Earth is about twenty-three degrees. The moon, quarter million miles away, about a sixth of the mass of, of our planet Earth. And what it does is this: it holds the Earth steady on its axis. If you took the moon away. The Earth starts to wobble on its axis, that wobble becomes more and more eccentric and the oceans slosh over the land and we, we're not here but the Moon's there so it keeps in this lovely tension uh, The Sun, wonderful, 20 million degrees at the core, we couldn't stand that 6,000 at the surface, that's very very hot, I mean, don't know what your ovens get up to 200 degrees centigrade, 250 maybe now you put your hand in there, it's hot isn't it? Have you ever burnt yourself on a tray coming out of the young Ladies and gentlemen, it's hot. How about 6,000? It's mind-boggling. We, we can't exist with that. But 93 million miles away, that heat blast reaches the earth, hits our atmosphere, it's smoothed around, and it heats this earth to an ambient temperature of about 15 degrees centigrade. Just about right for a water, carbon-based life. Coincidence? Maybe here we are d- discussing it so it must have happened by accident so scientists would, would say but being given off from the sun it's not just a heat blast that we we enjoy all sorts of nasties being thrown off there ultraviolet the common one we know about a little bit is, is okay gives you a nice brown browning and a suntan too much fatal causes cancers and we we die this is where it gets very interesting. There's a lovely gas called oxygen, which I'm sure you appreciate. Do you enjoy breathing? I enjoy breathing. (laughs) It's good stuff. That's the oxygen that we need, but not too much, or else we go hyper and burn ourselves out. 20% is just about right for us. Another form of oxygen, which isn't O2, it's O3. Now, you would think O3 would be heavier than O2, but it's not. Actually, it spreads out, it's less dense, and it floats. If you're to breathe all three, I'm glad it floats, because if you breathe all three, you're not going to last very long because it decomposes to form radicals that can cause cancers. Don't breathe too much all three. But it's not here at ground level, it's up there, isn't it? You've heard of the ozone layer, Mm -hmm. and we're concerned about it because it's doing something up there. It lets the heat through, but filters out the ultraviolet.
2: Isn't that wonderful?
0: And it's not found at ground level, it's found up there. It's a wonderful, wonderful system. Coincidence? Well, it must have happened because we're here talking about it. last little coincidence I've mentioned is the planet Jupiter, which you're familiar with. But for Jupiter, we wouldn't be here. You might think, what is this about Jupiter? So, I never knew. I mean, thank the Lord for Jupiter. It's a wonderful planet. thousand times more massive than the Earth. It sits out 450 million miles away from the sun, just beyond the asteroid belt. So, Mars, asteroid belt, Jupiter. It is so massive that it acts almost like the solar system's goalkeeper. Lots of rock and junk floating around our solar system that uh, could be on a collision course with, with Earth. And we worry about things. We've got things looking out for asteroids, asteroids. And we're, we've noticed a new comet recently that in three years. It should be quite spectacular in the sky. So we're plotting these things. But we did see in 1992 uh, a comet called Schumacher-Levy hurtling into Jupiter. That's what Jupiter does a lot of. Its it's gravitational mass is so great. It attracts these extraneous rocks that could be on a collision course with us and it stops them hitting us. So all these things, circumstances, they start to really mount up. So there's two Cs. And they're the bigger ones. Uh, We get a bit quicker now. Um, Another powerful point would be what I call craving to keep the C sequence going on. Human craving. This desire for this awareness there must be a divine being where, where does it come from wherever you go in the world you find that mankind is, is a worshipping being it differs from country to country um, and from age to, to age certainly probably find new tribes today maybe it's in the Amazon Africa, Indonesia they are found with a concept of God or gods well, why? Who, who taught them? where does this come from uh, there's no real reason for it um, but looking along these 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 little seeds we're doing so far if creation tells us god is there circumstances tell us this and paul argues this in roman in acts 14 uh, god set these things in place giving you crops and water and filling our hearts with joy they are showing us that god is kind Isn't this lovely? He's a benevolent God. It'd be terrible if he were a malevolent God. Now, when I was younger, shame on me, I used to uh, look at ants through a magnifying glass in the summer. They didn't like it. Didn't like it. And if God were like that, he's malevolent. But he's he's not. He's benevolent. And then this craving tells us that, uh, oh, why? Why? Well, he's there to be known. He's a personal God. He can be known. These these pointers are are telling us something. They're just abstract things. They're supposed to learn something from it. God is there. God is good. God is there to be be known. Um, Even atheists, Sartre, Jean-Paul Sartre, said this. God God does not exist, but that my very being cries out for God. I cannot deny. Blaise Pascal famously said, and you'll know this, in every human beings a God-shaped vacuum. This this craving we try and fill with things we never satisfies uh, look, the Christian. We've found that. Solid joys, lasting treasures. It's it's God, this this craving. So creation, circumstances, craving, conscience. Conscience. Where does that come from? This idea of good, bad, right and and wrong. Conscience. We all have a conscience. Um, set at different levels, maybe in different people. Some have got a tender conscience, others it's been, been hardened. Well, the conscience is, is clearly there. We learn about uh, criminals who, when a, a case has been closed by the police, they, they give themselves up and say, oh, I, I did that murder. Well, why did you? I couldn't live with my conscience. I, uh, it's just plaguing me. Where's he come from? Well, evolution would say... And I know that, um, what's he called? One of the famous A.P. Dawkins. He, he grapples with, this has got a good chapter in his, uh, his book, The God Delusion, where he honestly tries to grapple with it. But uh, you see again how contorted things have to be once you discount God. It come? See, evolution really would say, survival of the fittest. The man with a tender conscience ought to be weeded out, surely. Mm. Who's going to survive? Well, the nasty Stone Age man will bash the tender conscience Stone Age man's brains out of you. Who's going to... And then his children would be... Evolution surely would say that. But still today, you'll find people with quite a tender conscience. How do you account for that? That's a powerful pointer. God has not left us without evidence. Creation tells us he's there. Circumstances, he's kind. Um, what was it on? Craving. He can be known. Conscience tells me something about him and something about me he's good and I'm, I'm not I'm not equal to this morality, there's, there's, there's a problem and my conscience starts to tell me about something, about a judgement to come, I, I'm not comfortable with things, I sort of feel deep down there's a day of reckoning coming, conscience so, four there uh, what's number five? Oh, the Bible fifth C is the Bible that starts with a B, but we could call it, can't we, the Canada scripture, so we get another C <laughs> in there, and if the first four are in the realm of general revelation, that doesn't matter where a man is on planet Earth, he has that evidence, we come now to the realm of special revelation, which then begins to build on general revelation, but, but the Bible, how do you count for it, this, this amazing book? And uh, written by around 40 different human authors over around about 2,000 years. Yet, when you read it, uh, you find there is, alright, it's not, not an easy read if you come into it for the first time. Uh, I find many who have come to maybe church for the first time, please pick up the Bible. I did it myself at the age of 19. I bought a Bible and started reading from Genesis. And I soon got a little bit bogged, bogged down and confused. What's,
3: but when you see the overall
0: story, there's a good little book called God's Big... Picture by Vaughan Roberts, give me those overviews. What do you find is one unfolding story. Starts in Genesis, comes to a great uh, central climactic event in the Gospels, and then a great culmination in, in Revelation. And everything's pointing towards this great culmination of all things throughout the whole of the Bible. One unfolding story. Starts in seed form, begins to flower and open up, and then you have this fantastic fragrance coming out. One story. yet these 40 men, by and large, never met. I mean, I don't know, if, if you put 40 men in a room for five years and said, write something astounding, then you might think, well, they, they, yeah, it's contrived. But not so with the Bible. These men never met because death separated them. And yet each has a piece of like a jigsaw. When it's put together, you find one wonderful picture emerging. No! No real contradictions. No original errors. How do you explain that? Well, there's only one explanation. That there's one superintending author. We know that's the the spirit of the living God, who oversees each author, makes sure he writes exactly what needs to be written uh, there. He's got that piece. You put it all together, one unfolding story. There's only one who's alive over all that time, and that's the eternal one himself. God, it's another powerful pointer to God sixth C, Christ uh, Philip said Lord, and what a wonderful request you know, that, that we would have this request in our churches tomorrow uh, Lord, show us the Father mm-hmm. listen to this, and that will be enough mm-hmm. yeah. not, not what hymn are we singing, what tune is it And know who's, who's preaching today and show us the Father and that will be enough that astounding answer Philip, I've been with you such a long time He's one of the first, wasn't he, Philip? Um, if you've seen me, have seen the Father? Uh, he's, he's exhibiting this, this, the, the glory of God. We beheld his glory, the only begotten, full of grace and truth. All oh, his, uh, his miracles, his works, his, his explicit and implicit teachings. Uh, he's God amongst us. And then the, 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 the real proof that he uh, said he would give when people challenged him, is his resurrection from the dead. Uh, no other sign will be given you apart from that, uh, the prophet Jonah. As he was in the depths of the fish, so I'll be in the depths of the earth.
3: Resurrection
0: the, uh, proves he is who he claimed to be and that the work he came to do actually works. So we focus around Christ. Powerful point of special <coughs> revelation. Final scene See all those. Pieces so far are what I call objective evidences that can be handled and looked at and observed and and tested and read books about it and think about it. But I, you know, I I could go through those and you could go through those and it doesn't make you a Christian. You you get this knowledge of the grounds there. The man called Anthony Flew, who was a famous atheist. I don't know if he's died recently, but uh, about six years ago, he was in his early 80s, famous atheist. And uh, he ditched his atheism so now I come to the conclusion there is a God. And he's written a book and it's worth reading. Um, it's called There Is A God. And Richard Dawking was so ruffled by the book, he said, oh, well, I put it down to old age. put it down to old age. That's why he's come out and, and said this. But no, Anthony Flew says this in his book, I've come to this conclusion not because of any encounter I've had with God, because of the evidence that's there i have examined the evidence I find it very compelling he's interacted with the Anglican N.T. Wright and towards the end of the book he says now I don't claim to have met this God but who knows one day I might hear a voice saying here I am now that's the final thing you see the seventh piece of evidence is subjective and it's Christian experience and uh, it's what uh, God invites taste and see the Lord is, is good the experience for yourself. It happened to me at the age of 19 in Brisbane, Australia, uh, from atheism to, to faith. Um, and that was the cliché. The, the it's something subjective, but it's not a leap in the dark. There are real grounds there that I began to examine before I, I, I came to faith. Now, God is God. I, I'm saying, I think for most people, uh, we're helped. Uh, along the way, and then we have this encounter with God, but I know of others who have the encounter first, and then the structure begins to put, in, put be, be put in place, but they're my seven C's of uh, powerful pointers, evidence for God. See, it's not a proof, you can't prove God, you can't argue somebody, but if you can help them on the way, and allay some of their prejudices, maybe folks will examine a little bit further and closer. So, this book on the um, three I think it's 3.25 there's quite a few copies on there and if, if you hadn't taken it all in it's really I've just regurgitated much of, of here there's some more illustrations in here obviously but uh, if you weren't taking notes and you think it'd be useful for you or somebody in the family maybe or a work colleague then I've had quite a few emails of folks because my email address is in the back as well who found that helpful but any any questions? Yes.
3: Well it's not really a, a question. I, I became a Christian. Uh, my name is Stuart and I'm a member of the Baptist Church in Stafford area. I became a Christian when I was much older than 19. And one of the people that, that I felt directed me, besides my, my aunt who's a member of this church, is, is somebody called C.S. Lewis. Right. Who was also, I think, a bit of an atheist. Yes. Perhaps not as uh, dogmatic as Mr. Dawkins. But uh, C.S. Lewis became a Christian, uh, I think because he he also did this analysis, like some of us have done, like me, you know, where's the proof, as you've gone through today. And I think we're all, uh, the evidence is there, the evidence is glaring at us, that that this is God's world. But I, I just wanted to say how how nice it is to read something like C.S. Lewis because the love of God comes out of his work. Even though there's a lot of it I don't understand or can't grasp fully what he's he's saying. He is not not an easy man to understand, for me anyway. But the other thing I wanted to mention is this Richard Dorking, he keeps attacking us as Christians. We don't bother to go to him and say, we'll tell you about, we'll tell you why you're wrong. We don't have to do that, we believe. But he always comes to us, doesn't he, and tries yes. to prove to us as Christians why you're wrong. So, in essence, because we are God is love and we are trying to expand this, this love that he has shown us, we, don't, we will only go to Richard Dorky and try to show him love. Yes. We don't have to prove anything to him, do
0: well, we? Well, I hope that's the case. I hope we, we have that good yes. spirit, we, we care. we we love him to see what we've seen, and for for myself it's interesting, I I think in my first year in Cardiff University, what annoyed me most of all was seeing the Christian Union bookstore. and I'd go and argue every Wednesday with these Christians, these poor Christians who were so deluded, and and I often think, it's certainly been my experience what was I fighting against? I think God was working clearly even there and you wonder about someone like Dorky then you worry about him crossing that yeah, you worry about that it. line, yeah. don't you? That uh, Stuart Ollier wrote in a book once yeah. about a line that's mm. invisible across your pathway. Mm. Um in, in exit from somewhere else. Oh did he that's okay. <laughs> Where from? I can't
1: remember. What <laughs> <laughs> do you think though that There there's some scriptures says that every man knows as a God. But there are some people. In fact, I suppose if we all been being honest, all of us at some
0: point, whether we like it or not, have fought against God and there comes a point where God has said,
1: I've chosen you, that's it. But there are people who continue to deny it. They fight hard, they'll come up with any kind of theory or excuse because they know I want to stay just the way I am. Well, that's Romans 1, isn't
0: it? Yeah. Despite evidence, wicked men mm. suppress the truth. It's mm. not that it's not there. But I do think this busyness compounds the problem. Maybe they felt they were busy in the eighteenth century. I, I don't know. I wasn't alive then. Any views on Well, there are folk who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words,
2: the truth is there written in their hearts. It's an uncomfortable, unwelcome truth. So they actually dumb it down. So all people do know that God exists. Paul goes even further, I think, that they know God, not in a saving way when they actually know God. But well, I think the evidence that you present is very useful. Because the first, the first way to help someone is to cause them to doubt. They've got to doubt their own position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we can sow doubt, all persuasion starts with sowing doubt. Yeah. So if we can sow doubt, then we've already done, done them a service. And the second thing is they need to understand that it's reasonable. Even by their own standards, it's totally reasonable to be a Christian. We're not, we're not people who are shooting ourselves in the brain. Mm-hmm. There are good, rational arguments which can be made. And I think that's already something also which is helpful to them. But ultimately, they will not come to the Lord except through the message of the cross, as we heard this yeah. afternoon. But that doesn't mean to say that what we're doing now is... In
1: A few weeks ago we were running a, a children's meeting and talking about creation and uh, I was just saying that you know there's, there's no proof that any fossil, I said I said myself I believe that God has created things amazingly so that they can adapt and adjust to the situation they find themselves in, I said it would be foolish to say that, you know you look at man itself, <laughs> we're not all the same, we've all all adapted to, to the environment that we live in and this little lad said, and um, I said there's no evidence through fossils a monkey grows into a man, mm. and this little lad said, "Yes, there is." I said, "What?" <laughs> and um, he told me the name of it. I, I researched it, but the evidence is so there's no evidence at all. This, you know, the, the, this I think it was called Dolly. I think, yeah. but people well. will believe anything that they'll accept because it's come from a scientist. It's got to be true.
0: Yeah. If, see, if if there isn't a god, evolution's taking place. So. You will have to find the evidence somewhere. And I'm not saying there aren't areas that look pretty good. I mean, I, I spent some time looking at these things. Here's the problem with evolution. I mean, I'm a chemist. Evolution covers such a vast spectrum of disciplines. See so someone was here this afternoon who said, Well, actually, I'm a, I'm a geologist or I'm a paleontologist. And they could then present to me some mighty really compelling thing. I'd have to spend some time then looking at that. Um, and then somebody else would say, well, actually, I'm a I guy's a geologist who looked at a certain aspect of things. Uh, he could look at a rock, and it wasn't a special means of aging a rock that I hadn't heard of before. And he said, look, well, it seems that this is millions of years old. I'm going to spend some time then hopefully chatting then with him later on and e- emailing, but there's so many disciplines that people are experts in. That I can't be, and you can't be. No. So, you know, we can't convince people by arguing. We can yeah. start to give some pointers. Yeah. But there will always be stumbling
1: blocks and difficulties. But I think my point is, it's because a scientist has said it. Yeah. People take yeah. it as being the truth. But, yeah. I, I was able to find some, some evidence for this young lad, and I said, oh, look, the bones they found, the, sc- the skull, I think, the, 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 um, the skull was quite small, and they found a leg bone, which, would say that the the joint was made, meaning it was almost standing upright like a man, mm. but the like, the actual bone was found two hundred feet below the skull, yeah. <laughs> which is and even scientists say well that's ridiculous now that's no evidence, <laughs> you yeah, know but, but what people is take no it as being the truth don't they they take it as find something yeah, yeah. So that
0: they're, they're doing their best yeah
1: but they're just in a sense. but what I'm saying is people will take yeah. scientists at yeah. their words regardless how, how good the evidence is.
2: Would you like to comment on DNA
0: as an evidence? Well, again, that's another discipline, isn't it? As an evidence? Right. Do you want to elaborate? No. Um,
1: (laughs) Can the genetic pool be enriched from...? Well, I mean, you
0: look at diversity today and uh, people (coughs) ask the question about, well, if it was Adam and Eve, where where have all these different races come from? Mm. And the answer is, well, what a rich gene pool there was in Adam and Eve. Eventually start to congregate together, obviously. But uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You can't add to the gene pool, can you? Um, You can't enrich the gene pool from
0: some exterior source. No. No. I mean, obviously, with things like dogs and horses, Sigler would have had done. You can manipulate the gene pool, but you can't add to it. So even acquired characteristics can't be passed on
2: to progeny. So if you teach
4: a squirrel to, to whistle and sing the national anthem, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If, if children can't whistle nope. or sing the national anthem, nope. yeah. good points. Yeah. Isn't it sad that, as far as I'm aware, the schools here only have one option, and that's evolution. Is that true or it, is it, it not? It, it is. It is true, but um, I, I am informed that
0: the national curriculum does allow for debating and questioning, and, and teachers. Supposed to um, yeah, allow maybe somebody in the class to raise the question. It ought to be discussed,
4: it can't be dismissed. Um, uh, are the textbooks and the examinations based on that? No. Well, how, how is it since if you really study it from a Christian point of view, mm-hmm. evolution theory is actually not scientific in the strict sense of the word because it doesn't <coughs> meet the requirements of science and yet it's taught as the only option in schools when in fact it is not scientific how have we got into that situation um i believe god's sovereign and in the end his people will be saved Mm -hmm. but we're living in a nation we live in a world where children who are very impressionable are taught no other option Mm -hmm. and i personally think that's from a church point of view tragic that we can't do something about that. When DNA was discovered, to me, evolution should have been thrown out of the window as a science. Because DNA is such a complex... I can't begin to understand it. But it is a code. And despite that, we're more entrenched in evolution theory. The BBC preaches it on just about every documentary. And we're living in a world that can't... (laughs) shouldn't we as church try and influence... Things more than we do. In a sense, we we, we can, and I, I wouldn't so much knock
0: the science teachers in the school because I mean the government does provide for it, and you know we can have some but uh, Religious education, right, it's it's being sidelined, but it is there still in the national curriculum, and that's where things like this can can come in, into play. And I, I do get invited into the schools. But it's generally lunchtime. Could you do a? Uh, you know, it's obviously it's not he's a CU putting on this forces up and uh, and I will talk on things like this. But you know, why not try to get into our lessons and uh, and give a talk like this? Challenge thinking. At least in Britain, there is the opportunity. In America, there isn't. It's just not allowed in schools at all. And lots of Christians then opt out and just have because schooling is very big. So in the Bible Belt. But we, we've got the opportunity to get in, so we need to think as churches, you know,
4: are we taking the opportunities that are currently there? You know, I just think that the influence is so little, ineffectual, on a very major aspect of life. I mean, that's where the whole foundation of life begins on, is there a God or isn't there? Mm. Um, I've just read uh, Burgess's book, which it's a different approach. He looks at the differences between uh, apes and man he accepts the fact there are physical similarities which are very great because God created you have to have a joint works in like a joint, but he focuses on the differences such as our fingers have got far more senses in them than an ape. We totally designed totally differently in terms of the the activities that we can do, so that 's opened my mind to a different sort of um, yeah. sort of proof, if you like yeah. but the tragedy is, it's not been taught anywhere. It just saddens me to think yeah. that, you know, <laughs> see, these the rooms, creation is fantastic and the, the, the they all been taught junk in the schools. Yeah. What do you think?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, that's um, my friends and stuff, they all believe in evolution because that's what. Ari really is just, they say, Christians believe in this right. and Buddhists believes in this. But they call themselves a Christian school, but they teach it as something different, so they, from their point of view, um, evolution is right, and that's what they teach, so that's what my friends think are right, because that's what their whole family thinks, that's what the school thinks, and that's what.
4: And would it be that when they're taught, and you're taught, that you're taught that evolution is a fact, and not just
1: a theory? Yes. Yeah, it's tragic. I may be slightly out of date on this, but I quite agree with both these two comments. Um, my impression is that, as far as science teaching in schools goes, the topic of evolution is too nebulous and too difficult to examine on. Uh, I was teaching at a stage when, certainly the the Welsh Joint um, Education Committee dropped it from A level. It's far more worrying from the point of view of college students, okay. university students, uh, and from the point of view of the media, BBC and others. Right. I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. Is anyone know? Any teachers here? Is it on
0: the national curriculum in schools? And obviously you've had it mentioned in school in mm-hmm. the science classes, but whether it's an examination subject, or Not I, I don't know. It is very complex at some point I, I'd make. And notice what I've done today, I stayed on what I call safer ground. You brought up things like evolution and you brought up DNA. I've gone on to really physical sciences, which I think is much easier to argue logically from. You know, these very complex areas, which you can have a brain inside mm-hmm. of the planet yeah, to yeah. take in. But the things I've said, really, it's, it's for dummies like you and me. It's just plain, obvious and simple, which is why I majored there. Instead of on... If I wrote a book on evolution and uh, all these different apes and like that. Know. there's so much there and I'm sure it's saying the same thing but these things are just as plain as a nose on, on your face. It's just, it's simple. I think that's why I've majored it.
2: But well, we do have plenty of resources available. Oh we do. There's a biblical creation society, there's truth in science, there's answers in genesis, there's the genesis whatever it's called now. Now, I mean, the thing there's a virtual, virtual um, creation museum available on the internet, and, and so it goes on. The internet's fantastic. But we need oh, to true. stress that not opposition to evolution is not all from Christian circles. True. There are people within the scientific community who no longer accept evolution, <laughs> and some people believe that it's impossible to be a microbiologist
0: and an evolutionist because the actual it's just impossible. It's, well, it's it's Simon Beaky, of course, he's he's. Book, uh, Darwin's Black Box. Yeah. And Michael Engel wrote, wrote,
2: wrote it, The Evolution the- the- of Theory and Crisis, something right. like that, which has yeah. been reviewed in scientific journals. Mm. He doesn't claim to be a Christian in any sense of the word, but he says it's, it, it, it cannot be sustained, believe in the evolution. Yeah. Yeah. If there isn't a God, it must have happened. This is, this is yeah. the, the problem. Yeah. Once
0: you rule out yeah. the obvious, then the most bizarre things are yeah. acceptable
1: remember a guy called Willie Mullen, he was a, an Irish um, preacher and he said on the day of creation if only scientists were there to calculate the age of the earth, <laughs> they would have put it as four million years ago. <laughs> yeah.
2: well, there was a, well there was a highly intelligent person
0: there six days later. Yeah. It would as if he looked, well, I don't know what he looked, thirty was he? <laughs> six days? Yeah. On his very first day. How are we doing? Well, you've got two minutes you want to use it, and it's a cup of
1: tea I think. That's the eighth. Cup of tea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice <that> one, congratulations.
2: <laughs> okay,
0: there is so an
1: organisation we, called Creation <laughs> International and I do recommend yes. them. You can go on the web, find them, get their magazine. And if you like me, get on Facebook and sign up to them and get and get some updates. I, I highly recommend them. Well, there are all
0: these resources and, you know, very, very helpful.
1: <laughs>
0: um, but I say, let me emphasize again, I, I, I've stuck on this area because I think it's, it's the most compelling and it's the simplest. I'm thankful for that. And uh, not that you ignore the other things and if you, if you can grapple with them, fine. You know, the, the DNA of the apes and uh, all those various things and, fossils and the fossils.